If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Your feature presentation. First of all, I didn't know that you made us uh, an intro music yet. That's so great. That was a reference to some music they used to play in British cinemas just before the movie started. Oh. Which nobody would have gotten. Yeah, something like that. Sure. Sure. Well, uh, hi, everybody. Welcome to Slightly Something Else, the podcast. Yes, it's us again. <laughs> it's us again, the podcast where we talk about whatever we feel like talking about this week related to games or whatever. Uh, this week, Yahtzee and I have decided to delve into the world of point-and-click adventure games. Yes, which someone brought up in the comments or the chat somewhere last time, and I was intrigued because it's a topic close to my heart. Did you know, Jack, I used to make adventure games? I know that you've made many games. I've actually, like, I've played very few of your games. So, no, I didn't know you made adventure games. Well, back in the day, I got my start in the online indie game spheres making point-and-click adventure games. When we say point-and-click adventure games, we should specify we're talking about uh, the sort of thing back in the 90s that were chiefly championed by companies like LucasArts and mm. Sierra mm-hmm. where it was a you'd have a character in a 2D environment and you'd collect inventory items and use inventory items on things to proceed the puzzles and open new areas and progress the story. Mm. Okay, okay. I'm with you. Cuz these days you say it's point and click and some people think you're talking about RuneScape or Diablo or some shit. Oh, there is to be fair, there is a ton of point and clicking in those games well let's not get back into video game (laughs) genre names and why they're dumb semantics my friend semantics but uh, the reason why i started off making adventure games is because i was big into adventure games back in the day Hmm. i played uh, uh, the secret of monkey island back on my old amiga 600 one of the best one of the best adventure games I played all the LucasArts ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach McCracken and the Alien Mindbenders, I think, was my first. That's not, that's just a great title. I Which love was only that. the second game to use the Scum engine, Ooh. or script creation utility for Maniac Mansion, that was LucasArts' in-house dev kit oh. for their point-and-click adventure games. Okay. And, of course, I played... I played those are the first adventure games I played. I then also went back and played the Sierra games a little after the fact, hmm. which were a different beast to the LucasArts ones. Yeah, very much, very much so. The classic quantity versus quality, as some might Precise, argue. Precisely, yeah. LucasArts made like a handful of some of the best point-click adventure games of all times. They had great art. They had great storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, very sharp writing. Tim Schafer, of course, worked for LucasArts back in the day. Who now. Uh, has his own company, Double Fine, that's mm-hmm. best known for really good writing and not much else. Hooey! Uh, um, yes, they made Secret of Monkey Island, they made uh, Full Throttle, Day of the Tentacle, Grim Loom, Fandango. Grim Fandango, mostly comedy ones. There were some serious ones oh. like Loom, like uh, The Dig, which oh. probably was like the least of them all. There was a couple of Indiana Jones games. That's one was right. a direct adaptation of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and one was a completely original Indiana Jones story, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Mm-hmm. A game in which I own and have con- installed on my computer. have yet to play it. I, I'm, I'm excited to delve into it. You should give that a try. It's a weird game because it's got like multiple paths with mm. the slightly change the puzzles you have to do, Ooh. but it's really... N- it doesn't tell you the point when you're picking the path. <laughs> so you just play through the game once and then you play through it again and go, hang on, why are all the puzzles different? <laughs> I don't understand. I think, I, I don't know if this is a conversation you and I had, but I've always assumed that a point-and-click adventure game is the perfect 
medium for an Indiana Jones game, as that's what Indiana Jones is doing for most of the movies, is just solving puzzles and exploring. Well, certainly the Uncharted game has followed that lead. Well, no, the Uncharted game is about shooting. <laughs> There's a fair bit of violence in Indiana Jones. Uh... I mean, if, if you go back in the Indiana Jones films and watch them with like your kids or something, mm-hmm. you might be startled by how much graphic violence there is in them. There is a lot of blood splatter, that is true. That's... Yeah, and even like even when it's not overtly bloody, you got stuff like Nazis being crushed under the treads of a tank. You got um being minced up by uh propellers. Sure, sure. I think I think though like those are kind of the the pointed moments of the Indiana Jones movies. Like we remember them so fondly because they are like it's not an action bonanza. They are it's they're adventure movies. And so it's this lovely mix of travel, excitement, adventure, puzzles, mysteries and violence. But let's not get sidetracked. Oh, right. Because I, say- I was saying that LucasArts made this small handful of really good games. Okay. And their main rival was Sierra, of course, mm. who made multiple series of multiple games and yes. quite a few games beyond those and were very much taking the quantity of equality approach. Mm-hmm. But their games were a lot less thoughtful, a lot less finely made. Ooh. They had Space Quest, literally a quest set in space. Yeah. And king's quest Mm -hmm. literally a quest about a king that's right in in generic fantasy world don't forget about police quest police quest uh quest for glory (laughs) yeah they had a they had a couple of like outlying series like uh, the gabriel knight series and the phantasmagoria series which was from that whole cd era don't forget about arguably their most popular quest games is fuck quest you mean Leisure Suit Larry? Oh, I, is that what it was called in the UK? Yes, because <laughs> here, yes, here in America, it was called something different. <laughs> well, yeah the the original uh, text adventure from which the Leisure Suit Larry games was spawned was called um, I think it was called Soft Porn Adventure. Oh, really? Re- yeah, really not <laughs> not terribly subtle with the plan going ahead with that. Yeah. Uh. That was sort of adapted into Legacy Larry 1. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, I happen to know there's a very crudely made indie game using the Sierra AGI engine that is called Fuck Quest, but it wasn't an official Sierra Wait, product. that's a real thing? That's great. Hold on. Now I gotta Google it's a real it. Thi- it's a real thing on the internet. Probably best not investigated too closely. Oh, um, I, I have a tab open now. That's going to mess up my analytics. <laughs> Certainly will. One is, yes, Sierra, while LucasArts were making what I would call genuinely artistic and thoughtful and well-made adventure games, Sierra were mainly pissing about. There are two Sierra games from the same era that both end with the main characters being transported into the real world, into the Sierra offices, and hanging out with the Sierra programmers and sucking up to Ken or Roberta Williams. Mm Mm-hmm. Which LucasArts would never have done, because it's, that is just that is just pissing about. It's really hard to come up with ideas, though, and so sometimes you just reuse stuff, and that's okay. It was very dumb. But at the same time, there were some, like, good Sierra games, you know, if you throw enough shit at a wall, something sticks. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one of the driving sources of conflict at the time, as I recall, was that in LucasArts games, they were specifically made so you couldn't die. There was no failure state in LucasArts games. No matter what you did, mm-hmm. you could always uh, proceed. Sure. You'd sure, always sure. get, like, you might get admonished for doing the wrong thing, but you could never be left in an unplayable state mm-hmm. or have to reload a save. Mm-hmm. And Sierra games took, if anything, the precise opposite approach. Everything would kill you in Sierra games. You had to save constantly. Yes. And not just that, you could also, like, make the game impossible to win without realizing it. Like, you'd miss an opportunity or lose an important inventory item, and there'd be no way of getting it back. So then you have to go back, like, eight or ten saves, so you'd have to label all of your saves specifically, yes. Yeah. The saves King's come. Quest yes. was terrible for that. Mm-hmm. King's Quest Five in particular. Well. There was a bit where there's, like, there's a cat chasing a mouse across the screen, and it only happens once. One time you see a cat chasing a mouse across the screen. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a boot in your inventory and don't 
throw a boot at the cat at that one moment opportunity you're given then you get fucked over like an hour later because the mouse is not around to save you from captivity Ugh. that's a bit much i'll agree but, that is a bit much but you know sierra fans would say "Ooh, lucasarts games are for babies there's no challenge I did like all of the deaths in the Space Quest games. That, I, they were that sort of became, Yeah, that became part of the fun. It was yeah. part of the identity. You had to find all the funny ways to die. Yes, and then the game would relentlessly mock you for being such an idiot. It, it's cute. It's charming. Yeah, as long as you're not, you know, it's not the sort of thing that gets on your wick after a while. Well, being called an idiot for not knowing I think by, exactly what the problem is. By contrast, in a lot of LucasArts game, point-and-click games that I have played, I often find myself not knowing what I'm missing, and so just walking back to every place I've been and hunting for that one item that I don't seem to have, you know? I think I once uh, called that when I work, hung out in amateur adventure game creation circles... Mm-hmm. Uh, you once referred to this as keyring syndrome, where if you haven't designed your adventure game intuitively enough, the player just resorts to going through everything and clicking everything in their inventory on everything. Yeah, just rubbing to try to bru- everything. Yeah, try to brute force their way through the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what I've found through a lot of LucasArts games. And that could just be me. Maybe I don't have the the right mindset for adventure games, but I just felt like... I felt like in so many... I'm thinking specifically of Day of the Tentacle. I ran into a lot of roadblocks in Day of the Tentacle. Yeah, there's a lot of inventory keyring stuff going on in Day of the Tentacle. Mm-hmm. A lot of the ways these adventure games were made, um, what would normally happen is you'd find one item that would open one thing that would get you another item that could open another thing. And it was just about starting finding the start of the chain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think... Um, the Simon the Sorcerer games were really bad for that. That was a that was a British uh, third party adventure game by AdventureSoft, I think. Okay, but there, it featured the first game featured the vo- vocal talents of Chris Barry, who played Rimmer in Red Dwarf. Ooh. Fun fact for well, everyone there. That's a, a very fun fact. Yes, I was a big fan of Red Dwarf growing up because I'm British and it's the law. <laughs> Uh, Touche. I've I've also watched a fair bit of Red Dwarf growing up because it was on PBS on Saturdays, public broadcasting. Uh, And, you know, we didn't have cable, so it's either that or, uh, I don't know, sports or something. So there were some inherent problems with the standard adventure game setup. Mm -hmm. The old keyring syndrome, the old chain syndrome. But I think what marks LucasArts out is that even in their earliest games, they found ways to rise above that. Okay. Because if you look at The Secret of Monkey Island, the inventory puzzles to get through things, that's just like a baseline. It's all the stuff they build up on top of that that makes that game really good. It's the characters and the conversations and the puzzles you solve through conversations. Mm -hmm. And the whole insult sword fighting concept, I happen to think, was genius. Mm -hmm. That was where you uh, you had to win a number of sword fights. And the way you win a sword fight is not by being the best at sword fighting but being the best at insulting your opponent (laughs) right right so what would happen is you'd like fight to a standstill and then the person who was like at that moment winning would say an insult and the other person has to respond with the correct comeback to the insult and if they don't then they lose further ground it was a reference to like old swashbuckling movies yeah yeah. that was always about the banter and that's very fun yeah so the way that worked from a gameplay perspective was that you'd go out into the field to get into random battles and um, you'd like throw insults at the, at the enemy pirate that you'd heard other enemy pirates use on you and you had to hope that they'd use the correct comeback so that then you'd know it and you could use it on other pirates in the future. <laughs> and then by the end of it, you've built up this lengthy repertoire of insults and correct responses <laughs> to insults. That's that is such a fun adventure game level up system where you're not you're not being you're not getting stronger, you're not getting like points that you put into your armor, you're just building up your vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. And it was fun and it's like a uh, more sophisticated than just finding the keys to go in the locks constantly. Yeah. And um 
but it didn't end there because the true genius of the incel sword fighting was the the final boss the final boss with the sword master Mm -hmm. that you had to beat to win the the uh the side quest let's say okay and in all when you went up against the sword master they used an entirely new repertoire of insults that you'd never heard before but they had the same comebacks you had the same list of comebacks and each one had a comeback that fitted so it wasn't just understanding that a you use b on a you have to be smart enough to understand what comeback sounds like the best response to the new insult sure sure to make that logical leap of like oh this insult kind of sounds like this other insult that i heard so i will use oh yeah yeah okay and you can't brute force that you have to be smart you have to be able to like pass (laughs) the insult and figure out the ideal response Hmm, very very interesting so that's how adventure games excel because let's face it the keyring system and the chain system is kind of sloppy design Mm -hmm. it's kind of annoying for the player yes and if Adventure Games had one thing that caused its downfall is that most Adventure Game developers didn't understand that principle. They just, like, copied that thing. It's it's very simple. Like, it's very simple to say, like, oh, the player has a door that they can't get past. It has an egg-shaped key. So in three rooms before that, I need to put an egg. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. very easy. So as is... As a lot of people will tell you, these days, adventure games aren't really a thing. There's no (laughs) demand for them. The ones that do exist mainly exist out of nostalgia. Yeah. Oh, well, Tim Schafer. That's that's Tim Schafer's bread and butter now. It's was it was Telltale Games' entire bread and butter as well. You know, it just bought up old adventure game property after old adventure game property and hacked out new episodic installments. I don't know if that counts. I don't know if Telltale counts as adventure games. Uh, m- fucking what? <laughs> I I think it, Telltale games are visual novels. There's there's no puzzles to solve in Telltale okay. games. Okay, you're talking about late Telltale. I'm talking oh, about okay. early Telltale. Oh, okay. early te- Telltale got their start making like. Uh, licensed sequels to old adventure game properties. They started oh. with Sam and Max, I think. Okay. They did one for Monkey Island. They did a couple of others. And they were all uh, point-and-click adventures in the traditional sense. Inventory sure. puzzles, uh, dialogue, all of that. Gotcha, uh, it was gotcha. around the time they got success with The Walking Dead that they transitioned to what you're talking about. The uh, visual novel choices matter. <laughs> the, uh, a, a such and such will... Such and such will remember you said that. Right. Subgenre of games. The choice-making simulator. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Well, I was uh, as as you were going through as I was thinking about like a modern point-and-click adventure. I think we can look at something that is point-and-click adventure, not modern, but you know something very popular, uh, something like Mist. Hmm. Right. Very point-and-clicky. Uh, a very key ringy, of course, but, you know, very mm. different presentation than a standard point and click. Yeah. Mm. Kind of age like milk. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of, because that was like around the time uh, digital art was a new thing. Mm-hmm. Digital like 3D rendered art was a new thing. So part of the selling point was that it's be- was its beautiful backgrounds, but it was just, you know, early, about as well as you could do 3D rendered art. Oh, yeah. And that was the main selling point. Oh, it was a the, pu- the puzzles, right. Yeah, the puzzles were just arbitrary silliness. <laughs> sure, but I do think that it helped. It helped uh, one uh, kind of plant point-and-click adventure in a new era of video gaming. Well, it was the start of like first-person adventure game stuff, which mm. these days you can see in stuff like Amnesia: The Dark Descent. Hmm. Okay. So first-person adventuring, of course, wasn't really a thing before 3D graphics was a thing. Mm. It, there was some, like, first-person uh, point-and-clicks in the 90s, the Tex Murphy games, uh, games like... Uh, Realms for the Haunting. Mm. Sorry, I needed to run the old brain water wheel for a few <laughs> seconds there. <laughs> 
There was there was a you know there was a slew of tiny point and clicks as soon as like flash games became popular. Oh, like yeah. web-based point and clicks were all over the place. Yeah, there was a lot of those escape room games Ooh, on the sure, web. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, well, and, and like know. dirty games. I, I remember as a teenager, I forget what website it was on, but playing a game called Jake the Pimp in which uh, you played a character who was, yeah, it was very Leisure Suit Larry. You know, you had to make the correct choices in order to get your character laid. Yeah, there was a bit of that in um, the old browser game yes. heyday. Mm-hmm. The old Flash browser game heyday. I think the reason for that was the same reason adventure games were popular in the first place, because it fit the medium that everyone was using anyway. Ooh, yeah. Because that was the start of PC gaming. Everyone had PCs for work, and they wanted to piss about with them. So the early PC games were all using the medium and the, like, the tools that the medium already had. Right, right. So you had typing, you had like, uh, like text-based stuff, mm-hmm. and then uh, mouse-click stuff in contrast to systems designed purely for games, which was like Twitch arcade stuff yeah, yeah. initially. I think that's a really was- interesting point, by the way. So there were a lot of games early on in PC gaming that looked like work. In fact, there were a lot of games that deliberately made themselves look like work. Sure. But yeah, PC gaming started with games that were more uh, uh, writing-based and text-based. Or more strategic stuff. Sure, sure. Like your civilization and things. Anything where you're you're moving your mouse around a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so adventure games were part of, originally part of that. Mm. You know, the narrative focus, the clicking around and things. And browser games were the same thing. We had a browser anyway. Mm. We were using it to look up our emails and things. So let's continue using our mouse to click away at this silly game. Get in there with your mouse. Absolutely. I mean, you know, obviously we had a few famous ports. I know the, uh, what was it, Maniac Mansion NES port is supposed to be... Uh, legendarily bad <laughs> it really is yeah. <laughs> part of the reason was because it had to go through nintendo and nintendo were having none of the sort of slightly edgy humor that ran through a lot of the adventure games at the time mm-hmm. yeah i mean if you look at like something like space quest some of uh, some of the the deaths in those games are like astonishingly gory <laughs> yes and it's just because there was no system of censorship at the time. It was just people, like dudes making the games and pissing about. There was no Absolutely. controversy because, you know, it was so niche. Well, and, you know, I think there is, there's a, and I, I suppose like just for me, I got into these types of games very, very late in my life. As we didn't grow up, my household did not grow up with a computer. Uh, and yeah. so we just, I did not have access to these games. And so it wasn't until, you know, relatively recently that I started discovering games like this. And so, so, what did, oh, go ahead. so why don't you talk about that? What was it that drew you to them? Because of course, uh, adventure games uh, like faded away and out of popularity as video games became more sophisticated, as the console games and the PC games market started to merge more. Sure, sure. And you... And rather than having to compromise between pure gameplay with the consoles and pure narrative on the PC, mm-hmm. you could have both. I want to say like the point of maximum merge was towards the end of the late 90s when we had games like Half-Life and Deus Ex come out. Sure, sure. I think like... So, for, yeah, so what, drew you, what drew you to the genre in later life? It was probably the immense success of the, um, of the Tim Schafer Kickstarter campaign. That certainly brought it back on the map, didn't it? Well, and and it was so wildly successful that, you know, you say to yourself, what the hell is this all about? <laughs> and so, you know, I, I started playing some of the old LucasArts uh, games. I uh, got my first uh, introduction to a text-based adventure game through uh, Frog Fractions, actually. Ah, uh, Yes. Uh, uh, good old Frog Fractions. Good old Frog Fractions that has a segment that is just a a text-based adventure game. By the way, one of the most fun uh, gaming experiences of my life was figuring out how to work a text-based adventure game. That was amazing. I have a, I have a fondness for text-based adventure game because you know what 
the advantage of text-based adventure game had over the graphic adventure mm. that came about later on was that you don't really get the keyring problem. Right. You actually have to think about what specifically you're going to do. You can't just say use hamster on uh, bed st- bedspread and then just trust that the main character would have some clear idea of what you wanted to do with it. No, you had to specifically say smear hamster fur on pillow. Right. In order to cr- to uh, frame the hamster for the sexual molestation of the elderly woman. Of course, the classic uh, hamster elderly woman scenario. You have to be specific. Right. Well, you know, like no, you need, you, there's the you hamster need to be specific in the, oh, there's the Sorry, hamster yes. gilf scenario, and there's the Sphinx's riddle. Like those are the two big ones, I think. In games, yeah, yeah, yeah. how are you going to handle those? Yeah, the classic tropes. The classic tropes, uh, right? And so, like then, you know, now that I have access to the all of the world's knowledge and a gaming PC, I started getting more into them. Some of them uh, an immense amount of fun. Some of them less so. Uh, hmm. And that and that's that's fun. interesting. Mm-hmm. I would have said the only reason there's a lot of them are still around and talked about is because of nostalgia. And that's presumably why Broken Age did so well in its Kickstarter. Thank you for saying the name. I forgot the name of it. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a very fucking forgettable game when it finally came out. It, it really was. It really was. It, yeah, beautiful, beautiful game, but just, yeah, very, very forgettable. Yeah, it, it was Tim Schafer's baby. Mm. And he was only like, he worked as part of a team on like The Secret of Monkey Island and other LucasArts adventure games. I think he's a very good writer. He's a very good comedy writer. Mm-hmm. Personally, I don't think he's ever proved himself as a game designer. I I might I might be able to agree with that. Uh, but Psychonauts Psychonauts is his high spot. It's got its issues. It has a lot, but it's of basically issues. fun. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. I guess I can. I I think it has more issues than uh, than fun, but uh, that's a to each their own situation. I think something like. Uh, Oh, what was the other popular one? I want to say this was a this. Uh, what was the uh, Thimbleweed Park? Was that what it was called? Yes, that was by Dave Gilbert, wasn't it? Yes, who was also like ex LucasArts. Yeah, the fun also, little X Filesy point and click game. Let me just look that up. Okay. <laughs> yeah, developed by Ron Gilbert. Yeah, not not Dave Gilbert. Dave Gilbert, someone else. <laughs> Uh, you know, which also had its issues as far as length is concerned, uh, but a, a very, very fun experience overall. Um, yeah, and very specifically designed to evoke that whole Maniac Mansion, Secret of Monkey Island yes. period. Yes, yes. With all the pixel art that comes with it. It's it's beautiful. It's character swapping. It's the X-Files. It's a little Twin Peaksy. It's great. It's It's super fun. And I think like we're still getting that. I, I know I've played a, a bunch of more modern ones. Uh, there was that that like steampunky robot one, Mechamania, Mechamania, Machinarium. Ooh, is that it? There you go. That sounds right. <laughs> Let's just say it is. Let's just Mach- yeah, Machinarium, where you're like a little robot with a. With a big head. Yes. Yeah, your little yes, robot with a big head. Uh, you know, I thought that was a really nice length. And, you know, uh, going back uh, over in the previously recorded live days, going back through a lot of the original space quests and police quests was a ton of fun. You know what's very telling is how you're talking about this like you've played a whole bunch of them and you just swept through them all. Yeah, because that I think gets is part of the nub of the matter for why adventure games sort of died out, because they don't really survive for very long in the age of the internet. Mm-hmm. They don't hold you up for very long when you can just look up the solutions to everything. <laughs> I when I, I mean when I was a kid and we didn't have the internet, mm. adventure games lasted a hell of a lot longer, as you can imagine. Oh yeah, you get stuck. You get stuck in a puzzle. You just got to figure it the fuck out. <laughs> well, wasn't the, like- only, the only alternative was to hang around the news agent, re- like leafing through the like letters page of video game magazines, hoping someone will have asked a question about the one specific part you're stuck on. Isn't wasn't there a uh, a theory that Sierra games were so hard to get people to call the Sierra tip line? 
because there was a paid tip line? That may well have been the scam. Mm. There was, I think Legacy Larry 3 did this, possibly some others, but every time you died, there were three buttons, restore game, quit game, order hint book, which sounds like a joke, but if you pressed it, you it would take you to a phone, to like a phone number that you could call and literally order a hint book. That's fair. That's fair. No, I, I, I think like they do have a place. I think like point and click adventures, text adventure games have a place. I, I just feel like we need to make them tighter experiences. I, I saw someone in in chat bring up one of the best text based adventure games ever made. Don't shit your pants, which is a brilliant piece of game. The uh, yeah, <laughs> deconstructive certainly. <laughs> it, it, but it gets to the core. It gets to the core of what makes the experience fun. Is you are looking to solve a problem in a, uh, a, a intellectually satisfying way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like the the game presents conditions. You must. Uh, well, that's right there in the title. Don't shit your pants. Don't you shit. need to shit. You are wearing pants. You must find a way around this sticky problem you and the game rewards like lateral thinking yes like if you just take your pants off and shit on the floor there's an award for that because you didn't shit your pants exactly you you won you are the king of shitting (laughs) (laughs) at very least you're the king of not shitting in your pants and that to me is fun but that game used like a text parser of course Mm. so part of the fun is like deducing specifically what you had to type there's even a gag where if you try to open the door, it says, you try pulling the door, but it doesn't open, which is the hint that you're supposed to push the door, of course. Yes. But, yeah, that's not the... Uh, it doesn't have the problem that most like mainstream adventure games have with all the just the clicking on things. Yes. To, to brute force your way through. And as I say, with internet guides, the games just don't have last ability anymore, which is why what's... Uh, I once I don't think the series did die out. I think it's evolved. the The concept of the adventure game evolved okay. into a number of different genres that we have now. Survival horror evolved from adventure games. There's a lot of first person uh, sh- shooters and action adventures that have puzzle elements okay. that owe a lot to the adventure game tradition. Mm-hmm. It's just all blended in nicely with a nice uh, core challenge loop. So that you don't just breeze through everything with a walkthrough like you, you did with your standard adventure games. But on the other side of things, if you just wanted the story and uh, didn't care about a uh, challenge, mm-hmm. they evolved in a different direction into visual novels and walking simulators sure. for the people who just want that experience. Because if you've got an adventure game, a classic adventure game with the walkthrough, it might as well just be a walking simulator at that point. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like to get in the way. That's very, that's very, very true. That's very, very true. Uh, I, yeah, 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 yeah. What I, what I will say, what I will say is, it was, it was those Sierra text-based adventure games, and that kind of lateral thinking that got me very, very interested in, uh, in tabletop role-playing games. Hmm. There is there is nothing I enjoy more now playing or, or running a tabletop role playing game than and I've run most of them uh, than my players using that kind of lateral thinking and I wish and I, like I know it can't be that stuff can't happen in video games because it's coded you know but I wish yeah. there was a way to bring that into more video games because that is so much fun. Like you could work AI dungeon into a video game somewhere, Ooh, right? Or, or it's like, could you could you mix AI dungeon with a point and click so that every time you played the game, it was something randomized and different. Therefore, you couldn't look up the the solutions. You know, I've been thinking about this. I thought about doing something for Starstruck Vagabond actually mm. as a sort of side thing, where you could um, send. Uh, like party members or people you know off on like scouting missions or colonization missions uh-huh. and you just like hear back from them through text like through emails 
and they and occasionally they like ask you for advice. They said, "Hey, we landed on this planet and we found this mysterious temple with a with with a, with like three buttons in front of it, and we pressed one of them, and someone got shot in the fucking face with an arrow." So we're wondering if you had some advice for where we should proceed. Yes, and you could give them a little bit of advice, and then like the story would just like it'll continue in the background while you. While you do your own thing, and every now and again you hear back from them on what with and what they're doing. I love that idea. I think that's phenomenal. It's past eleven, so I want. Shall, shall we do a few super chats uh, before we do? Uh, oh, sure, yeah. Let's do a few super chats, but then there's there's one uh, case of a modern point and click adventure game that I think uh, counts. But we'll get to that after a few super chats here. Ooh, suspense! Stick around, bum, everyone. Bum, bum. The Atomic Lemon, thanks for the five euros, who says, I mean this, I feel that especially the later Trilby games would be able to compete with Sierra Astro LucasArts back in the day. Those were the games I made. He's sucking up. <laughs> but you also I, had the benefit of playing all those games. Yes, I, I don't agree, the Atomic Lemon, but thank you. Marshall Graham gives five US dollars to say, thanks for live streaming and providing great content. Can Jack sing about butts for me? Um sure you're you're already thinking too hard right singing about that uh there's a cheek on the left and a cheek on the right a crack on the middle that's your butt (laughs) that's what i got right off the top of my head (laughs) that's the sort of that's the sort of thing that makes me laugh you can write clever jokes but they never they never hit (laughs) that is the sort of that sort of thing jack just sung that is the sort of thing that makes me laugh there you go (laughs) <laughs> improv Casey donates five US dollars to say thoughts on telltale point and clicks before the just made the quick time decision games well I guess the uh, quick time decision games were making more money for them in the end well, maybe they weren't I mean they they went bust well, I, wonder- I wasn't a big fan I wasn't a big fan I felt like they were just you know ripping off other people's like abandoned ideas sure Let's see. Here. Just you know, churning out some generic inventory puzzle chains. Okay, yeah, they made the Sam and Max Strong Bad's cool game for attractive people. Tales of yeah. Monkey Island. Yep. Oh wow! They just licensed any any property that returned their phone calls. I think. <gasps> oh, they made Puzzle Agent. Or oh, they, yeah. Or they made Puzzle Agent Two at least. That game sucks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't. Isn't that like? Isn't that like a Professor Layton ripoff? Uh, it it tries to be a Professor Layton ripoff, and it is not good. Huh. You know, I read, uh, I watched Ross Scott's video review of it, and he made it look good. Oh, I did not have a good time. Like, I I enjoy the Professor Layton games uh, quite a bit, as as I find them uh, nice and challenging. I did not enjoy the Puzzle Agent games. Well, there you go. There you go. All right. Corey Long donates $5 to say, Are visual novels a continuation of the point-and-click genre? Yes, they are. We just said. Adam Royvan Wayne uh, donates £5 to say, Ever play Koala Lumpur, Journey to the Edge, and Three Skulls of the Toltecs? Jack, I think a Neil Breen point-and-click game would be great. I mean, the only problem with a Neil Breen point-and-click game is no matter what you typed, it would be the correct answer. Oh, but that would be it. <laughs> Okay, here's here's the Neil Breen game. Is you are adventure games that made about as much sense as a Neil Breen film, <laughs> right? No, in a Neil Breen point and click adventure game, it would have to be a text adventure game, uh, and anything you type would be the correct answer. No matter what you typed, it would be the correct answer. Uh, there and then, the game would uh, would continue on. You know, it would be, have to be a little AI dungeony. The game would continue on with whatever you typed being the correct answer. <laughs> But there, there's a game, there's a game that we play in improv called uh, Pronunciation Guide, in which uh, you you say a sentence and then you have to change how you pronounce one of the words, and then every player has to pronounce that word that way you change it every time they say it in the future, and that would be the Neil Breen adventure game. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I have not played those games you referenced, Adam Robin Wayne. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Christopher Webb donates five US dollars. Say, jumping off of some earlier super chats, what are your thoughts on things like the nonary games? Do they count? I'm not sure what you're on about there. Let me just look that up. The nonary, nonary games. Nonary. Oh, the zero escape games. I haven't played those. 
But those are, you know, Japanese visual novels with a sort of saw setup, as I understand it. Ugh. Where you're, you're like a bunch of characters trapped in a game of survival. I'm seeing that. Yeah, you're a bunch of, uh, you know, like creepy, attractive looking anime people who are like getting <laughs> disemboweled. Yeah, I don't like them. Creepy, attractive looking anime people. So at least some of that is probably uh, redundant. <laughs> Touche. Um, I haven't played those, but uh, yeah, adve- Japanese has its own adventure game tradition, of course, mm-hmm. with like visual novels, but even stuff like Phoenix Wright that has some deductive mm. gameplay that I quite enjoy. Sure. I I think, you know, Phoenix Wright has less deductive gameplay than I would like, but I do, I love those Professor Layton games. I love, you know, just going up to someone and saying, here's a puzzle, figure it out, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Mm-hmm. And uh, last one, the Spawn Camp donates five US dollars to say, Yahtzee, uh, your old point-and-click games up anywhere, would love to give them a try. Uh, yes, if you Google, uh, I'm sure you can find some sources, probably on like abandonware sites and stuff, because mm. uh, my old games, I used to just release them all freeware, because that was, because I was just looking for praise, really. <laughs> I was looking to be praised for my creative efforts, and... Lately, I've philosophically come around to the idea that you need to be paid for your work Mm. if you're an artist because you're sort of devaluing art in general by not asking to be paid. I like it. Uh, Any any thoughts on like putting them up even for free on like your itch page? Well, I put all my dev diary games up because that was uh, the stated intention for that was... You know, experimenting and sure. having fun. Yeah. And also, I was being paid a salary to make the Dev Diary series. That's fair. So, you know, my expenses were covered. You you need, like, a, a, a mega re-release. Like, like I want to say Edmund McMillan put together, like, The Basement Collection, which was just, like, a collection of all of his old Flash games. Put them out on Steam. I think I thought about that. I think I'd want to, like, polish, go back and polish them all up a little bit. Sure, sure, sure. If I was going to do that, then, uh, you know... That takes time. That might require more attention than I'm willing to give. <laughs> Fair enough. So yeah, if you want to lie, if you want to search for my old games, if you search for Chizo Mythos, C H Z O Mythos, mm. you can probably find a source to download them from somewhere. Mm. Uh, what else did I do? I made a game called uh, The Trials of Odysseus Kent. Before the Jose Mythos, which was a sort of straight Monkey Island ripoff. <laughs> Gotta start somewhere. And later on, like towards the end, because these were all games made in a like a development kit device called Adventure Game Studio, specifically designed so that amateurs could make mm. uh, point and click adventure games in the Sierra Astro LucasArts style. Ooh. So I was using that. And towards the end, when I started like losing interest in adventure games, I started trying to use the same tool to make non-adventure games like i used it to make a stealth platformer called the art of theft and there's an action platformer called 1213 mm-hmm. and a sort of space exploration thing called adventures in the galaxy of fantabulous wonderment and eventually i realized it was probably a lot more efficient just to learn how to use game maker studio instead <laughs> just how to use an actual like game software yeah yeah that's fine yeah and that's worked out pretty well so far hmm. i was thinking of maybe like trying to pick up unity as well oh but you know, I'm all I'm all set in my ways now. I'm set in my game maker studio ways. You once once you unpack though, like that's the new hotness. Then you can that you can make so much more. Maybe I, I have no idea how game making works. <laughs> all right, uh, well, how about one more super chat? Tire forty nine gives five euro to say what do you think about the Deponia series? I think I played. I started playing the first one, but it didn't really grab me. I, there you go. I read some of the Dinotopia books. Does that count? That's not the same thing <laughs> at all. Not the same. Oh, okay. Well then, then I can't help you. All right. So, what was the next point you wanted to make? So, yeah, it's uh, a. I have an example of a modern, fresh take on the adventure genre. We're talking about collecting clues, solving puzzles, and going to a strange and wondrous land. Are you ready? The Return of the Oberdin. Ah. Oh. <laughs> oh. That's a good example. 
That's a good example of something that evokes the original spirit of the adventure game being something that's about solving a situation and solving puzzles. Mm-hmm. I think that shows how these days just having the inventory puzzle chain doesn't work anymore because you can just look up how to do it. Mm-hmm. But Oprah Din finds a way to bring deductive gameplay back into it. And I think that's what you need to do these days. You need to be clever. Yes. Uh, uh, clever. Clever, hopefully more clever than L.A. Noir, but, you know, something in that area. Well, and it, it's it's so tough because, as we talked about before, it, how how can you be – how can you make your players be clever without completely stopping all of their progression? Well, I've seen uh, game design tutorial videos that have talked about this very topic. Mm. How, do you, how do you make a detective game? How do you make a game that's about – the player deducing something without it just being, you know, pick three answers from a drop down and the correct one. Uh, uh, and if they click the correct one, the game continues. <sighs> exactly. And I think the conclusion they eventually reached was it's just one way or another, just add more options to the drop down. Hmm. So there's a couple of detective games where the way you solve the puzzles is to uh, create a sentence. Like there's a sentence with two words blanked out and you have to pick the word that fits in there from a drop down. So it's like, like the suspect blank uh, came to the blank in order to blank. And you have to like create, like piece together the correct conclusion. And because there's like, and the more variety you put into the, the more wrong answers you put in, the more smart the player has to be, I think was the conclusion. Because then you can't brute force it. And then is the, do they find those words? Like, do does the game supply the words that you could put in there? Or does the player have, like, a journal of clues they found that they can take the words from? Were they talking about yeah. a specific game? Or this is an there, there were a few games they were talking about. I forget precisely what. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. like Because in something like L.A. Noir, you just end up sort of going down the list. <laughs> yeah. But this was designed where, you, where the list... But the potential list, if you've got like three blanks you need to fill in and each one has like like 20 different options, mm-hmm. that's like exponential number of possibilities. So like, like the, the more ways there are to be wrong, other than clicking on the, the correct answer, the more you, the player has to deduce things. Sure. Well, I think that's like... Like, like the insult sword fighting. <laughs> the, right. the, the player couldn't just brute force it. They had to deduce it. Because th- there were too many options. Yeah. Well, and I think in a good detective game, the the thing that the player could do is find more clues to narrow the, right, the yeah. field. Or at least, and, and not even narrowing, like, you know, let's say there are 20 words, three blanks that you have to fill in. Not even narrowing, just make it making it clearer for the player which of those 20 words go where. Uh, that's interesting. I like yeah. that. I think Phoenix Wright does it pretty well. Hmm. Because uh, what you have to do there is you have to pick the specific thing that the suspect says and match it to the specific item that refutes the thing the suspect said. Right, right. So again, there's enough wrong answers that it becomes a challenge. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I that that and that is a point of uh, uh, Phoenix Wright that I do enjoy the objection system, if you will. Mm. Yeah, no, and I th- I think that's that's really fun. I I think none of it. None of it can bring the kind of lateral thinking that we felt while playing, or at least that I felt while playing text adventure games. You know, like mm. I know I was typing in something that they had already planned for, but to me, I I had that feeling of I gotcha game. I got your number. You know what else was fun in text adventures? Mm. Uh that was another thing that really couldn't be brought across to graphic adventures. Whereas if you type something and not expecting it to work, or you just type something silly, not expecting a response, and the game actually did have a response for it. Right? That was the fun. <laughs> yeah. Like if you typed, go fuck yourself, game, and the game went, no, you. <laughs> Right, right, and so like I, I want you know I want a way to game, bring that. A, sorry to interrupt, but there was a text adventure that I played. Mm-hmm. I think it was called "The Quest for the Golden Egg Cup." Okay, where you were on a mission from God to find His Golden Egg Cup, 
And if you got if you got um, flustered and just typed a swear uh-huh. and said "fuck off, game," the game would literally punish you by having your character put in the dungeon for swearing. Like God would come down and say, "You don't swear here, chummy," <laughs> and then you get locked in a prison and you have to solve a whole additional bunch of puzzles to figure out how to escape from the prison cell. That's beautiful. That's what we need. We, I. I want I basically like I just want games to surprise me. I I want games to surprise me again. Well, that's what we always want, isn't yeah. it? Well, I guess if you summed up my approach to reviewing in a nutshell, that's that's all I want from a game. Yeah. Not the same shit as always. <laughs> uh and uh Gustavo no, Yahtzee said sorry to interrupt, not don't interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> it would be it would be uh, extra funny though if you said don't interrupt while interrupting me. I think next time go for yeah. that. <laughs> it's like that gag where um, uh, everyone's just sitting around silent, then somebody goes, "Wait, shut up!" <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, and I get I guess like thinking about that, thinking about like games in the present that we feel have done this very well, stuff like Obradin. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like the Phoenix Wright games that have those like little kernels. Uh, I I don't know if I don't even know if Professor Layton can be considered a point and click adventure game because really it's just a puzzle solver. It's like yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's, it's it, there's no yeah. integration no. between oh, God, no. progress and uh, the mechanics of the puzzle. Before, it's just solve this one puzzle and then we can move on. Before I let you cross my bridge, here is a puzzle to solve. This is a town of puzzle freaks. <laughs> Like yeah. that's it. That's the uh, that's the gimmick. That's that's not the same thing as Oberdin. Oberdin felt to me like filling in a really hard crossword. Mm. You start with just the small obvious things and bit by bit unpick the rest of the clues until the whole grid is filled. Yes. And I've always loved solving crosswords. So there you go. Yes, and and as as we've said many many times, while I I will con- consistently and constantly sing the praises of Oberdin, I also didn't like it because it was just too hard of a crossword puzzle for me. <laughs> uh, you know what I've got into as well lately, actually. Them. What are they called? Monograms, nonograms. It's where you have like a grid of pixels. Okay. And um, you got like coordinates on the left and coordinates on the right, mm. and you have to deduce where which pixels are black and which are white. Oh, what is this called? A nonogram? Oh, hang on. <laughs> My wife got me into them. She oh, plays them all sure. the time. Also known as paint by numbers. Pick oh, Picross like Picross. I've played on over on the DS. That was a great game. Yes. Yes, yes, those things. Oh, I've really gotten yeah. into those. Those lately. are super great. And very, and again, like as with the crossword principle, I just said deductive because mm-hmm. you start with one, short, a couple of surefire things, and you just unpick the clues yes. until you can fill out the rest. Yes. Well, and I guess maybe like that's that's the fun takeaway that we can take forward as far as like what modern games give us is keeping certain information from us and like just giving us those hints so we can fill in the rest i think you know we no i'm not gonna do it (laughs) uh Uh, were you gonna bring up dark souls you were going to bring up dark souls weren't you here's what i'm gonna say i'm not gonna do it i'm not gonna do it in games that you and i have enjoyed their store when their story is not uh, splayed out in front of us and we only get the pieces to the story and we can put the rest together ourselves i'm not saying a specific game yet i'm not gonna say right. it. i suppose that's a good general like game design thing i suppose yeah because you, you can say the same thing about metroidvanias it's about starting from a small available bunch of tools and areas and expanding and expanding until you have mastered everything right that's a that's a good way to think of uh the appeal of uh i guess i don't want to say intellectual games it's <laughs> games that are more about you know the higher the longer term experience the right. higher brain experience well and and we can take those examples across genres and and just you know at the end of the day we're asking game developers to trust us 
as players to figure something out. And, mm. and to me, like that's when I usually end up like absolutely hating a game. It's because I feel insulted by the game. And you know, yeah, I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate the games that I reserve the most hate for. Are the games that feel like they're wasting your time or talking down to you. Yes, yes. Like games like. Like in Zelda, where they hold you up for five minutes so they can tutorialize the next bit of the game for in an endless piece of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Well, and I I know from a from a designer perspective, obviously, like I'm not a game designer, but you know, I do like I design dungeons for my players and I design puzzles for my players, and that's something that I always uh, in Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, that's something that I always struggle with, and I try to get just right about like how much information do I put out there for mm. them to figure this out. Like, ooh, this is a really neat puzzle. How much? How much can I give them before it's too easy or it's too obtuse? Right. That's the struggle, isn't it? You got to write the line. Yeah. You got to. You got to make it not so obvious uh, that it's not fun to figure out. Right. But but not so hard that they never figure it out. Exactly. Like you, you you want to make them feel clever, even though you know the answer and you could just say it at any time. That's that's the the nice balance. And I think a lot of point and clicks in the past had that balance. They made us feel clever. And so, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then the internet came along, walkthroughs <laughs> came available, and it fucked everything up. Well, just don't look at the, don't look at the walkthroughs. <laughs> it's easy. That's easy to say until you find yourself stuck, and it would be so easy to just progress. No, we're not all as strong-willed. <laughs> that's you true. Know? No, that's really true. Because once you, as soon as you break that seal and you look up one, it just gets easier to look up the second and easier to look up the third. Yeah, no. yeah, pretty much. Shall we go back to Super Chats for a bit? We shall go back to Super Chats. I feel like we had a, a nice, yeah, meaty yeah. conversation there. All right. Let's finish, let's finish them off then. Adam Robin Wayne gives us two pounds and asks simply, VR adventure games, question mark, which is something you brought up in the past. Yes. If, if you had... A uh, say a, a, an escape room type game where you could interact with every single object within that room that would be perfect for VR. Yeah, I'd say there's a lot of VR adventure games, but you know it's often very limited what you can interact with. Right. And if it's limited, then it's easy to brute force. But as we were saying, the more options, the more wrong options, the more deductive and interesting for a smart player. Yes, and. And you and that would make oh oh I would I would I, day one I'm there, listen we're getting that stimulus check that's going to a Vive or a something baby, <laughs> yeah that, well if you buy a, a Valve Index oh, I'll probably right. eat up the entire stimulus well, check well you know I'll have to get it before my wife does <laughs> I I get the mail here. <laughs> Uh, right, but I, right. I, I, what I'm saying is that's an experience that would be worth it for me in VR, where I could, I could be clever. I like feeling clever because I don't feel like I'm clever in real life. So yeah. I like feeling clever all, in video games. We all like games that make us feel clever because it's nice to feel clever. Absolutely. That's why Oberdin's are good. The Spawn Camp <laughs> donates $5 to say you could try out the Godot engine. It has a similar Python-esque language to GMS2, and it's open source, so you don't have to pay a fee to use it. Well, that's all very well, but I, I know how to use GMS2, and I've already paid for it, so I'm fine. I, maybe that's just general for anyone else. Aditya donates 100 rupees to say, Hey, Yards, have you read the latest Dress and Files books, Peace Talks? Read them, for the, read them for the first time after hearing you reference Ghost Story on ZB. Oh, you read them for the first time after mm-hmm. hearing them first reference Ghost Story on ZB. Uh, no, I have not read the latest one. Those books are kind of trash. Hmm. But, you know, if you're in the right mood, it's like a nice McDonald's meal. Hmm. Have you read the Dresden Files books? Uh, probably not. Kind of junky books. I've, I once referred to them as, like, the sword and trench coat owning 20-something nerdy young man's equivalent of a Harlequin romance book. Oh. I'll put them up here. Oh, ooh, yeah, this does not... Already just looking at the cover, I, I'm, I'm out, but... Yeah. <laughs> did, did, uh, you say, did you say trashy books? Like, they're just... They're just... Yeah. No. <laughs> no. 
they're, they're a bit. I don't know. I don't know if trashy is the right word. Okay. Junky, junky like junk food. Yeah, that's yeah, that's like it's, it's so it's it's like uh, detective smut, where instead of uh. instead of babies, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's easy to digest detective stuff. Fantasy detective, oh. urban urban fantasy detective. Oh no, stuff. <laughs> yes. Anyway, <laughs> Retro Station 1989 donates $10, thank you very much, to say, Wife and I love Jack, full stop, and Yahtzee, full stop, <laughs> and I love Trilby. Ooh, you got two, that's great. That's great. Okay, that's all right then. <laughs> great. That, you know what, that's all great. Uh, Ian Cassidy donates $20 US to say, If you can use the mouse for all inputs, does it count as a point-and-click game? Discounting gaming mice with more inputs than a standard console controller. Well, I think we said before that there's a general problem with genre names in gaming. Right. I mean, yeah, a lot of things involve pointing with a mouse and clicking. Right. But we were talking specifically about point-and-click adventure games, which is a specific thing, and I know this would all be very confusing to an alien from space. It, it might even because... just be confusing to a young person who might not know the genre. All right, fine. We we are old old men, Yahtzee. Yes, yes. <laughs> as as you and my hairline continually remind me. <laughs> it's a going back. <laughs> and uh, last one. Yes. US $5 from Prongs, who asks, have either of you read the Stormlight series by Brandon Sanderson? Well, I haven't. I have not. I have made... Well, I- I finally gotten into the book that I was, uh, that I wasn't reading, uh, The Year of the Witching. Ooh, lovely book. Yeah, lovely. I still have to get into the one I'm not reading. And that's fair. Take your time. No one's pressuring you. But it's a. I'm still playing Persona Five in the evenings. <laughs> I'm probably for the foreseeable future because I get like one hour of free time after the baby's gone to bed, sure. and that game's like a hundred hours long. Then you do you. You do oh. you. Hold the phone. One more. What? Super chat. No more super chats now. We will stop reading them out after this one. Um, Meister Kleister Heist. Meister Nice. Gives five euros to say, Yahtzee, have you read the military sci-fi comedy Epic Failure by Joe, surname I'm not even going to try pronouncing. Zichia. I overall... Zichia. Zichia. I overall liked it. Series ending was meh. Oh. No, I haven't read it, but... I'm intrigued by sci-fi comedy because there's so little of that. Hmm. I was deliberately like trying to research sci-fi comedy before I wrote my sci-fi comedy book, mm-hmm. and I was astonished by how little there is, at least in like mainstream hmm. book circles. Yeah, there's Hitch- I think sci-fi Hitchhiker's is- Guide, Hitchhiker's Guide, the Red Dwarf novelizations, mm-hmm. and maybe Harry Harrison. But that's about all you'll get. I think that's playing to your audience. I think people know that like people like if if sci-fi readers like to be taken very seriously. So they don't want they don't want no dang jokes in their very serious books about spaceships that go pew pew. Well, I I grew up on Red Dwarf. <laughs> yeah, no. I've I, always yeah. I've always liked sci-fi comedy. Me too. Mm. Pew pew. And yeah, I'm not really big into the hard science aspect of it, if I'm honest. With that seems a bit dorky <laughs> yes that's the audience yahtzee the right. audience I, is I get dorky that. the audience is dorky and wants to believe that in a in a future world they will be superior because of their dorkiness i guess you could say i'm a comedy nerd mm, that's i'm okay. a nerd for comedy and nerdy comedy and nerdy comedy games there you go there you go all right back to fuck quest well, Jack's going to get back to Fuck Quest, and uh, I am going to figure out something equally fulfilling to fill the day with. Can you still get Fuck Quest? I'm curious. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, according to this, if you uh, let's see here, uh, oh, you can get it on myabandonware.com. Oh, okay. Oh, there's a uh, retro games dot cz has a has a browser version a, a dos browser version of fuck quest what? there's a browser version hold on it's installed oh hold on i'm gonna see <laughs> oh and that was the last we heard of jack before his entire computer was destroyed by a virus you are richard 
You need some. Oh, oh my. Yeah, that's the one. Do you hear it? <laughs> Is it making PC speaker noises? Boop, 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 boop. What is this song? I think, I think that's from a Space Quest game. I think he was he was using like the AGI engine that the early Space Quests were made in, and he just seems to have ripped the sound files out. Oh God, no! I gotta stop it now. It's making awful noises. Yeah. I'd, okay. There we go. I, yeah. Don't don't play through Fuck Quest. <laughs> or or for that matter, Fuck Quest Two: Romancing the Bone. Uh, oh. That, also, that I'm also seeing on this. Wow. But uh, apparently you can play it for free in your browser right now. Uh, turn the speakers down, though, as the sound is a little much. I, w- I wouldn't. <laughs> no, it did not look it did not look good or sexy. So I'm going to see if I can find Jake the pimp. Well, anyway, perhaps we should wrap things up. <laughs> we really I thought we did already. But yes, let's right. wrap things up. I, 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 do we have any closing thoughts on adventure games besides the fact that that we like these elements. Uh, trust the players. Give us hints. Don't walk us through it. Uh, let's all stop talking about isn't it a shame adventure games are dead or no, really, adventure games are still alive. I'm so sick of that fucking argument. Some of them are still around for nostalgia purposes and otherwise it just sort of evolved into new forms to adapt to the current times. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's great. Then, then that's great. Also, quick quick update on Jake the Pimp. Uh, the official name of the game was Jake's Booty Call. Just want to make sure that's put out there. Jake's With, Booty Call. All right. Bear that in mind. So I played a lot of those games. Okay. Um, I can tell. <laughs> well, thanks for listening to Slightly Something Else, the live <laughs> podcast that we do every week here on the Escapist YouTube channel. That's right. The audio version of this will be available shortly. Uh, thanks for coming, everybody. Thanks for watching and or listening to this. Uh, and we'll talk to, to you later. Uh, we'll slightly see you later. Uh, once we see a toffee! He was here all along. Tuffy was here. Bamboozled all- again. <laughs> oh, Yahtzee, you trickster. Bye, everyone. Bye.